I tried to kill myself about a year ago. And ever since then, ended up in the hospital being taken away from like your family, not knowing if you're going to go home, but not knowing if you were going home was like a very Mm. scary thought for me. So the biggest challenge for me is how do I not only live and cope with what I have, but not control it, but I guess how do you live with it without affecting your family life? Because at some point, you know, there has to be some compromise. They have to understand, like my wife, I feel not bad. I feel bad for her. Um, Yeah, for sure. But like she has to do a lot of work too to kind of find out a way on how my life is, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of tough in, in that one. So that's a bigger obstacle for me was like, I almost decided not to be here, but it's mm-hmm. like, you're trying to be here. You're trying to be the biggest person in your kids' lives, but yeah. because of the situations and, you know, it just wasn't not me, you know, I'm just not thinking or it's where I was and kind of almost taking away that opportunity to be the father that I wanted to be. This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we're reclaiming the narrative of fatherhood, one story at a time. You can follow the journey on Instagram at Therapy for Dads and our website, www.therapyfordads.com. Welcome. Well, good morning. Good morning, Pete. Welcome to the Therapy for Dads podcast. Hi, how are you doing this morning? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so glad that you decided to say yes and hop on and, and talk about dad life, guy life, mental health life. It's always fun to, to meet someone new and uh, to make new connections and to have these conversations and to kind of spread this, uh, this awareness um, normalizing dad life, you know, parent life, mental health life, uh, among men, fathers, and really among anybody who's listening to the show. So I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, man. Pleasure. I can't wait actually. So yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as you, uh, have heard, if you've, if you've listened to a show, um, and anyone who's chiming in new for the first time, finding this on, um, Spotify or Apple iTunes or even on YouTube, I always like to do this, um, because, the beautiful thing about the show is I have met men and women, but men on the show literally across the world uh, through Instagram, through YouTube, and have made these wonderful connections and relationships. And some of them have really turned into some deep friendships over this past year of talking to people. And it's been really, for me, some of the funnest thing about this is being able to kind of create these relationships all over. And... Um, I always tell people, hey, I'm in I'm in Southern California. Um, right now it's about 519 in the morning. And I always love to know and tell the listeners, hey, where is the guest Zen casting or tuning in from? So where are you at there, Pete? Uh, right now I'm from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, but originally from uh, Belleville, New Jersey. Okay. So I just moved here. Yeah, just moved yeah. there. And what time is it right now in Nevada? In Jersey would be 820. Las Vegas, it's five. 20. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I think we're the same time. time. We're the same time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Right. Yeah. Very um, hard adjustment for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the morning or Vegas, to Jersey to Vegas. Uh, just like, I'm, I think I'm still stuck on Jersey time. Okay. <laughs> like I'm still there, you know? Yeah. And how, how long has it been? 
at Vegas? Uh, about four months now. Okay. So yeah. brand, brand new. Vegas. Brand new. Okay. Um, I'm guessing a significant change from Jersey to Vegas. I mean, 1000%. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably 1000% drier. Yes. Yeah. I've been yeah. to, been to Vegas and it's, it's dry. It's dry. dry it's dry. Water. Yeah. <laughs> I've never needed so much lotion in my entire life. So dry. Yeah, I bet. Or the, the lips, the chap lips, or yep. the, the dry nose, and you're like, <laughs> oh my God, everything's just. Never just thought sucked. about it. Never no. thought about the little things like that. So, Jersey to Vegas, um, like you said, big move. So, can you give a quick quick intro of, of who Pete is? How many kids does he have? What does he do? Cool. Yeah. I'm a stay at home dad now. Um, I. I with them all day long, whether driving around or cooking and cleaning, completely different role that I've I've taken on in the past couple of years. Uh, I have two children; one is six and one is three, um, and uh, that's it. Yeah, I really I, I stay at home. I do what I can, of course. You know, I podcast, YouTube, do a bunch of stuff like that. Um, anything to keep me busy, um, mm-hmm. and I also do stand up comedy at uh, at night. So depending, great. Yeah. Okay. You said anything to keep me busy, so having a six and three year old doesn't keep you busy. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes when they <laughs> need to rest, I need to do something. <laughs> so I just fill yeah. in that time. Versus, you, fill, you fill in the yeah. time. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, like, wow, stay at home dad. The six and three year old are not busy. That's a, <laughs> all right. But that makes more sense. That's why I asked the question. It makes more sense when they're, when they're sleeping or resting. You're, you I guess you things. think because it's just so part of your routine now. Like they, I don't look at them, I used to look at them as work. And now I'm like, no, this is what you do, you know? Mm, so yeah. to me, like anything else outside of what I do normally is, that's, I guess, what you could say, keep me busy wise. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. definitely busy. I'm hey, definitely, it's definitely busy. It's definitely a full-time, I mean, it really is a full-time, full-time gig, really. I mean, because, yeah. you know, when, when they're awake, right? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. on. I mean, right? They need dad. Straight. Like there's no, you know, there's times where, you know, we have to do some type of work, whether because I do some like personal training sometimes online and you feel bad because like they have to sit back and just watch the TV for a little while. And then you judge yourself on whether you're being a good father or not. But mm-hmm. I was like, you know, you do have to do some work if, mm-hmm. you know, just, it's just a hard, uh, I guess it's hard to separate the thought of like, are you yeah. being a good dad or are you like neglecting them? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure that's a, a internal you know, thought process and, you know, are you, are you failing? Are you doing this and find that balance? So yeah, let's just jump in, man. Can you tell yeah. me a bit about your, your dad journey? So you have a six and three year old, but I'd love to hear about your dad journey. Oh, all right. So this definition of my dad journey, I guess you could say is, huh, I don't know. I, I guess like a lot of people that try to be a good father, like they didn't have that same relationship um, that you want to provide them with. So not that my dad was mean at all. It just, they worked. So that was like the concept of, of everything is work, 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 work. And then we'll see you at dinner and other people will take care of you. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, we've gotten into so much trouble just from not having people around or having someone that we really didn't respect. It's, I'm talking about me and my brother, um, that it, it raised us the way, it, you know, I think it did what it needed to do. But I did not want to live my life that way, you yeah. know. And um, I think the pandemic put me here versus I was moving towards that way. Because before the pandemic, I had a gym for 11 years mm. and it got shut down um, due mm. to COVID. And 
kind of like, like, like I always say, COVID redirected my life. And I would have been there doing the same old thing, you know, probably training, you know, trying to open up another gym again. And uh, this one kind of put me in my place. And now I'm here and completely, my roles are completely different, you know, so mm-hmm. that adjustment was it. And my dad's journey was to make, I, I think I was placed here in my dad's journey because I always thought about making sure that I was a provider and I was there and I was, you know, there's a quote I always go back to. And someone always told me, he's like, Hey Pete, it was like an advice from a, just an older strength coach. And he was about like, I would say like fifties mm-hmm. and it was like 10 years ago. And he goes, Pete, I get, if I could tell you one thing, he goes, never miss a day. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And like, he just, then he kind of explained how like his relationship with his three sons are not the relationship that he wanted because now he was, you know, uh, running his own gym business and he was trying to make that work for them. And he's like, but he's neglected so much of his life or their lives based off trying to succeed in another one. So I kind of, mm. yeah. So my journey is kind of like, I was placed here to to do what it is I always thought about and do what it is what I've always talked about. Hmm. Wow. So the contrast from you and your brother, um, were you the older one or was yes. he the older one? Yeah. You're the older brother. So, so you, I was you a had dad a, yeah, so you Okay. So you were a kind of his dad your, yeah. your brother's dad okay kind of parent because your dad was like you said not necessarily was a bad dad but right. um but he worked and you said you know you were raised by someone else that you didn't respect and just kind of because of that lack of person you respected who was in your life consistently because of work which you know could right. be circumstantial and maybe you'll mention that but uh, the reality right. is you you recognize that there was a, a gap and even as a, as a young man a young maybe teen or something and realize, okay, yeah, we don't respect this person. We get in, get in trouble, whatever we're doing and going right. down a certain path. And right. um, so what, what, out of curiosity, what, what path was that, that you were kind of heading down? It wasn't really a bad one. We just had no direction. I mean, yeah, we had a very disciplinary mother. So hmm. like fear was a big base, but even just little things like my friends had to teach me how to throw a ball and use hmm. a mitt. Like, you know, it's like, um, Okay. I, learned, I, I learned everything from living in the suburban streets where it's like, you know, you go out and then you come back home when the lights or whenever you wanted to, obviously, or when they get home, then you just talk about school. Mm. Um, and if you did bad in school, that's the only time you get reprimanded. Other than that, they just get back to work on another project or work gotcha. on their computer from home or just sit down and watch TV. So we just sit down and watch TV. It just gotcha. wasn't something that I imagined myself to be as I grew older, uh, to kind of want, like I didn't, mm. I didn't want that life for my kids. You know, I mm. wanted to make sure that if like they need someone after school, which is probably the most important time, like if we just got like babysitters all the time, that's just, that's just my own preference. Mm. I'd rather be the person there than have to pay for um, daycare, mm. you know? So it's, it's just a weird thing. And me, as my brother, uh, he went more, he went more of the deep end of like getting in trouble, alcoholism, gotcha. You know, okay. robbing, you know, everything. Okay. So but you I really was, went down a path. Yeah. yeah okay. He went down that path. Me, I was, I was pretty straightforward. I was, I was more, um, I guess you could say fear-based mm. uh, from what my mother was going to do to me, you know? Mm. So, I, and I was always in charge. So I kind of feel like I was always a dad. Yeah. You know, never having a dad to like give you a hug or... Uh, mm. A dad's like yell at you if you did something wrong until like someone told them that you did something wrong or like the cops came to your house. Now gotcha. you did something wrong versus mm-hmm. like 
you better not do that because you're yeah. gonna, you know, something's gonna happen to you. That's all. How would you describe your relationship with your father in general, like as a kind of grown up? Um, I would say it was good. It was just mm-hmm. like a fun one. So it would be okay. early in the morning, then we would listen to music because he would wake up super early and so mm-hmm. would I. So we just listened to music. And then after that, it was it was fun slash work. Mm-hmm. So it's in the morning, you know, you kind of have your leisure time. And then after mm-hmm. that, you're just helping him do whatever project it okay. is he has in store uh, okay. for, for you. So, yeah. Okay. And like I so said, that, it's not like a bad relationship. Sure. I just didn't want to mirror that same one. It, you know, Pete, with that, with your dad, that's, I mean, those do sound like good, good yeah, moments in the morning. Listen to me. I mean, obviously that's a good memory of like, Hey, we wake up and listen to music like in the morning. And right. so was dad just, I mean, how was dad with that? Like physically affectionate, verbally affectionate, or was that just kind of not his thing? It was more of, we don't do that. Like, how was that? Yeah. For you? I, I don't really remember um, anything okay. that was very affectionate. Um, okay. Men are strong. Men don't cry. That's for sure. That's okay. A, that's the one thing I, I, I know. And he still says it to my son. And I was like, yo, 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 you better chill out, dude. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. he can cry. He's allowed to. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, you're not going to start that now. Um, okay. A lot of just cultural things. I think it's a cultural uh, thing because okay. I talk to him a lot. And even he said like at age 13, he wasn't even with his parents anymore. You know, like. Wow. He, oh, yeah. wow. He has, he's one of 15 brothers and sisters. Wow. My mother is one of 15 family. brothers and sisters. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Jeez, so. that's a big family. So yeah. both your mom and your dad were both one of 15. Yeah. Yeah. My mother so, was in charge of pretty much all 15 and, you know, did the work around. And the same thing, my, my wow. dad kind of just uh, floated, you know, from like school to school, from like a house to a house. Wow. Uh, anyone that could take him. Obviously, with 15, how do you show affection to all 15 if, you know, you're in the yeah. Philippines and who knows what the, what it is but i'd like to listen to a story sometimes like later years like probably last yeah. year when we were in covid we went through a lot of stories wow. and uh one was yeah he really didn't live at home after 13 wow. was what was that i mean what was that like to hear his story a bit about how he was raised and at 13 or whatever he wasn't at home like what was that did that give you context was that helpful like yes like definitely gave me yeah. definitely a lot of context definitely helped me um I guess cope with the thought that like, why does he, why does he say these things or why does he act so distant sometimes? Or why is he, you know, like it doesn't really matter at some point. Mm. Well, I get it now because you really never had a relationship with your parents, you know, Mm. until like later on when you, of course you want to help them. That was their goal. Their goal was to work to provide for their, for their parents, you know, get them out of the situations they're in the Philippines. And, you know, he did that. He's very successful at doing that. You know, that was all that work that he put in to, to I guess, come here to America and build a, a base and build uh, a family out here. Yeah. And then he shipped everyone. But he shipped like they're on a cargo. cargo. Yeah. <laughs> he got everyone over here yeah. um, in, in New Jersey. And, you know, that's, that's what it was. Okay. So your dad was, was, was he the first in his family to come here? And then no, everyone followed? He's the or? first one to come here. Yeah. Okay. okay. Both my mother and my father were the first ones of the family okay. to make it. Funny story too. It's getting here. Crazy. And then the rest of the He had no idea. He just took a plane. And then. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then he just stayed at JFK airport in New York City. And he was going to sleep there to try to sleep. And then some random Filipino, just because, and that's why I talk about culture. Like they always take care of each other. Just some random Mm. Filipino saw him and took him home. And then he has no idea. Always interesting to hear these stories. And for you, probably some things that you were lacking in childhood, hearing his story 
you know, I'm wondering what did that do for you? Like when you see your father now and you saw him with the context that you saw why he's doing it now, like, oh, it makes sense because you're your parents didn't do this. It makes sense why you didn't, or maybe didn't do it as much. So you're kind of seeing the generational, like how that impacts the next generation, what we do. And, and I'm guessing that's what came for you was I'm kind of paraphrasing you, but I want to do something a little different. I don't want to repeat this exact same thing. I want to maybe be more, more present. You know, like you said, I don't want to pay a babysitter. You know, I don't, I don't want daycare. I want, I want to, I want to be here and be an influence in my kids' lives more than my dad. Not that my dad was a bad person, but my guess is he did the best he could with what he had in his upbringing and coming here, being an immigrant, coming to the States, having to work, do all these things. And also that relational piece with his dad and his parents, like he was kind of probably a dad young too, you know, taking care of his siblings and had to grow, grow up. And I'm putting this in quotes that are, that are not watching, but that are just listening kind of that term called being parentified at a young age is that it kind of, you lose out a lot in childhood out of right. survival because you had to, it's like, yeah. I have to, I have to be responsible quote unquote for my siblings at a very young age. And so I'm giving up part of my youth childhood to be this adult, which actually developmentally is not even really appropriate, but I have to, because that's what's needed in this moment because of there is no parent or there's no, you know, fill in the blank. Um, right. So I'm guessing it gave you a lot of like, need me even empathy for him of like, okay, I see that. And that makes sense, dad. And you did the best. I mean, is that kind of what it led you to that point of, okay, wow. I, yeah. No, so okay. that was a perfect word. I was trying to think of the word uh, to use, uh, but it definitely helps me empathize uh, mm. with, with him. You know, I don't look at it, but you know, you always go through those phases of, of like something blame. And now it's like, yeah, you know, well, it's cause you weren't there. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then now that you learn more and you actually get deeper into the stories and understanding, you know, what, mm. what his life was like, it does make you empathize with him and, makes you understand like oh, okay he did that because of this like he wasn't doing anything malicious he was just literally mm-hmm. trying to provide as much as he can because he's yeah. always been trying to provide you know mm-hmm. as much as he can yeah and i think that's a needed thing and i love that you said that um you know he wasn't malicious and there are some things that he you know you did that were lacking right. and it's okay to acknowledge that that hey there's some things that i missed out on that maybe it hurt and it was sad that i didn't have these things from him but as you got older, you've now had these conversations and you're seeing, oh, here's why he didn't. He did the best given how he was raised, given his circumstance, given his tools. So it's kind of both can be true of like, yeah, this is lacking and I needed this from him. And not or, but and I understand now why this this didn't come to him. But here's how he did connect with me. Like even the music of the morning, like that was, it sounds like he was really intentional about, hey, let's do music every morning and yeah, and connect that way. And that w- and providing financially and a roof. And that was his way of showing that and working hard for you. And again, there's some things that you're wanting to change now, like, Hey, men don't cry, boys don't cry. And so you're, you're seeing that what you want to do differently, but you're taking the good and not blaming him. Cause you're right. I love that. We go through, we do go through phases yeah. of like, well, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. It's like, yeah. well, kind of, but not, you know, some of it is, but some of it is we, that be, that perspective of understanding why right. even in my life with my, my dad, I've had, you know, there's good stuff, good memories. And, you know, my, my parents divorced and there were some things that I had to go through and with him. And even more recently in the past few years, we've been having these really rich, deep conversations and I've been getting more perspective on him and why he did what he did. Understanding some of the, kind of with your father, some of the, the gaps of, oh, that makes sense now. And I could get why you did this given you, where you were mentally, emotionally, and how you were 
how you were raised by your parents. And, you know, my dad had, a, my dad had a, an alcoholic father and he left his parents' house when he was like 17, like had to leave and had to get out and he just moved because he couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, okay, that makes, so hearing all these stories and how he coped and managed and, um, you know, he drove across the country. He was in New York okay. um, and moved to LA at 17, just drove across country. <sighs> And became like a Volkswagen mechanic, I guess, when uh, when he was uh, 17, just moved out um, to find his way because he wanted to get a, get away from that. And it's like, okay, that makes sense why, you know, this is part of your story and how there's some things that were lacking. And we've done a lot of healing together. We've had we've had deep conversations, sounds like, with your father. And there's been a lot of restoration and perspective and um, forgiveness, and which has been really cool for me. And it sounds like even for you, you've had that kind of, oh, there's some stuff here that maybe we'll let go and heal some of the wounds and have more empathy and understanding. And, you know, I think as we get older, we start to have these perspective shifts. And um, plus my dad's also, he's he's also changed a bit too. And he's okay. taken responsibility and has apologized for things. And so that's been a big shift in our relationship too. And he's it's allowed us to even go a little deeper because of his awareness. And it's been really cool for me. So, but it sounds like for you with your dad, having those conversations have given you context and everything. Yes. Yeah, it makes me actually, yeah. actually, um, I actually started writing when he started telling me stories, um, probably, like I said, right in the beginning of not the pandemic, but about a year before that, when my son was like starting to grow up a little bit, like grow up, he was like two. Um, and, uh, it made me start writing and I would mm -hmm. write more about like this little things that I've gone through and, and kind of like little messages, uh, to my kids. Um, mm. based off what if, you know, I don't want them to, I don't want someone else to tell them my story if I'm not here, you know? So mm. I did a lot of logging, a lot of journaling and kind of like, they're just journals that I just stack up. And at some point, if they ever, you know, say next week, I'm out, you know, <laughs> for some reason, um, they have something to read that's based off my, my words versus someone else telling stories mm. about me. So I kind of got that concept from listening to my dad. Why do you think that was important for you to do? Like uh, just to answer questions, like if they had questions that might need answered mm. from their dad, it, mm. this is what I would say based off experiences. Yeah. And that's really it. Or like, you know, what happened to him during this time? Why was this happening? Or uh, mm. why would someone say this about him? Well, this is probably why, you know, this mm. kind of gives them context. Yeah. Uh, just in case, you know, for me, I'm, yeah. you know, I believe that we're all not here forever and it's a, fucking terrible thought, but, um, you know, it's, I like preparation, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a great idea. It's a, it's just kind of ongoing, ever evolving story that one day your kids can and probably will read and, to get to know what you're going through and to hear, like you said, hear your perspective, hear your side of things and versus just what's the stories that others say and to give kind of that kind of round out the whole story, you know, right. that here's what other people say, but here's also dad's experience and Pete's experience and what he went through and what he was going through and his perspective and how do we see that? And I think that's a great, I mean, that's, that's great idea. I mean, I, there's a lot of things that I didn't know about my parents that you have to have these conversations for, but there's a whole lot of stuff I still don't know because there's, you know, <laughs> there's so many right. things I just don't know. Right. And to catalog that, that's, that's a brilliant idea. Just to, stack it and uh, to give it to them yeah um, it's almost like a movie when you know like in a movie yeah. they never knew anything about their grandfather and then in the attic underneath a wooden 
plank. They found this live this book and it was yeah. all about their grandfather. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think cool. about. Well, you definitely got to find a cool hiding place then for them yeah. to find it one day as they're exploring <laughs> the house. Map. and Yeah, leave a map and <laughs> they pull away planks and it's this, you know, this encyclopedia <laughs> of just Pete's life. Um, now you're making me get ideas. I'm going to put in the bottom of their drawer hey, just a map. Well, yeah, just a map. <laughs> so when they move out one day, they're like, oh yeah. my God. It's buried. That's cool. I mean, that's that's a really cool idea. Like actually that got me thinking like, oh man, I should probably do I need to do something like that, you know, and yeah. catalog more because you're right. There's so much about my grandfather. I don't even know. And I have to get these stories and find out like how they do what they did and how they get where they got. And, you know, it's, we often want to know our, our story. I feel like yeah. we want to know, you know, how do we get here where we are and why? And right. I wish like I, think, I had a book for him, you know, for my dad, kind of I like, know. I wish I knew more besides what you were telling me. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting because even like yeah. I mean you're doing it right now, so that's what's mm-hmm. great about your your podcast too. As much as you you know you're talking about therapy for dads, you really dig in and then your opinions on on everything is great. You know, and your little mm-hmm. takes on everything and how you vision Thanks. it. And, you know, yeah, kind of does catalog catalog everything that you're kind of doing right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think part of why I'm doing this is mental health as well. But I like the, I think sharing our stories and our dad dad journeys or dad life and it's important to hear that and to share our stories because our stories matter and they're unique and we tell our life in stories anyway right i mean anytime you introduce yourself and you meet someone new i mean they're they're telling you a story they're telling you their story at least part of their story right you got me you got me inspired and intrigued over here (laughs) it's just just relevant you know like we know more about george washington than i do my grandfather like why Mm -hmm. is that and, you know, why, why don't I know more about what, like the yeah. upbringing of myself, like the, all the things that he did affects how my life is going to kind of move. So, yeah. so you know, that's, that's yeah. when I started thinking, I was like, wait a minute, this makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I like that. Yeah. We know more about Washington than my own grandparent. Very <laughs> true. So having kids, was that, what was it like for you guys? Was it something planned? Was it, uh, was there any difficulty there? Was it just like, yep, yeah, we had kids, we're good to go. Or what was that process like? Yeah. I think it was just, you know, just planned and then surprisingly happen faster than you always think it is and then mm. it just happens yeah and then you just go and and learn you know and that's mm. that's it you know and then we had the the second one same thing planned it's faster than we thought you know you know we just think you have to like try a thousand times and out of nowhere it's just happens so fast for mm. us and yeah. uh yeah fortunate enough that it's just the process now of learning how to raise two i guess you could say toddlers you know mm-hmm. yeah and have you noticed the difference between your boy, your son, and your daughter? Anything different? I was just going to say that completely different. Okay. Completely, yeah. Uh, Phoenix is my son. He's pretty straightforward, um, mm. very meticulous. He's autistic, so it's just you know, I we know the process of what he likes, what he doesn't like. Um, uh, just you know, the communication, really spending a lot of time with him with learning and, and physical mm. fitness, not fitness or uh, therapy. Okay, um, and then like, she's like OT and yeah, PT? OT okay. uh, speech. Mm. a lot of that a lot of that stuff mainly ot a lot of ot okay. yeah uh, but definitely see such a big difference um now that he's growing up more mm-hmm. uh, and then she's a handful like defiant doesn't want to listen to me and i have to like read books on how not to yell or how not you know it's like how yeah, that's I, good i like that how not to yell. that's good yeah like it's yeah. so fast because that's my i know i know my upbringing and i mm. understand how yelling hitting and you know that's just normal so for me, my patience level is so low that mm. it's taking a lot of work for me to kind of just sit back and 
you know, how do I change it or smile mm. instead of get angry? You know, it's mm. very, it's difficult, but you know, giving them the options, you know, obviously mm. I sound like, I'm, I sound like the books that I'm reading right now, but that's yeah. you know, the, the process of, I know how to, yeah. if I can do it better, you know, I'll, I'll learn yeah. how to do it better. Instead of yelling, you know, hitting things that maybe were more culturally normal for your family growing up. Right. Um, so why do you think you don't want to do that? Like what inside of you is like, yeah, this is not the right way. Uh, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't feel right. I know it answers the question. I, I think there's mm -hmm. a time and place for it. I didn't mm -hmm. always like getting yelled at all the time for nothing. Cause mm -hmm. even now, if someone just has a different opinion about what it is I'm thinking, I'll say, why are you yelling at me? Mm. You know, so it's just a, it's a natural reaction yeah. for me to think that everyone's against me. Okay. Uh, Cause what do you think you needed as a kid from your mom or dad versus yelling or hitting? I don't know because I didn't know another way. I just knew mm. that if I messed up, get ready, you know, see, get ready because you, you never know. And if it's wrong to them, then it's wrong. That's yeah. really, it was just one way. There's not really, I really didn't have an opinion. I guess I didn't have a choice. And that's why okay. I like I like the 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 fact of what they talk about in the book is that the kids want choices mm -hmm. and they'll they'll try to um, mm. whether you like it or not they want to just they want to make a decision you mm. know and that's kind of what I'm understanding now and it, it works you know it helps work where it's like all right if you don't want to if you're not gonna you could either stop jumping on the couch or you go to your room and go to sleep you know yeah so it's like one of those it sounds things. like. Sounds like you're doing like Love and Logic or something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the book. What book are you currently reading? I, I don't know. Someone gave oh, it to me. It's over okay. there. <laughs> it's over there. So I'll just yeah, go to the like chapter whenever I need it. Definitely yeah. a choice thing. Yeah, those are those are good. And well, and the reason why I asked that question is because obviously something something inside of you knew that this wasn't the best way. Maybe right. there's something different. So what can you speak to that? Like what was that? Like what is that thing? Is it a felt sense? Is it a feeling? Is it a thought? Is it a Yeah, it's a, the feeling of like remember what the question you asked me, it's like, what did you think about your father? Mm. And a lot of times a lot of the memories is only when he would buckle down and hit us. Like That's if true. he needed to. You know, same mm -hmm. thing with my mom. It's like, what do you love about your mom? It's like I love her, you know, and I, I understand they have a lot of good we had a lot of good times, but I remember a lot of the hitting and like mm -hmm. the the constant like, you know, just uh, discipline, you know, mm. based off what we did. And I guess we were just being kids, you know, mm. and now I see it. Like, they're just being kids, like, just trying to find themselves mm. and trying to uh, find some control in their lives, right? Mm. Versus me trying to control that life the entire time. So I, I just, yeah. I don't want them to remember me as a yeller or huh. uh, a hitter, you know? Yeah. I guess when you were a kid and you remember that, what was the felt sense of that? Was it fear? Was it sadness was it what was it i would say fear sadness then anger and mm. then revenge like trying to do then you can just do the cycle again you know yeah. just try to get away with it again because yeah you know it, it just it becomes just feels like you're gonna get away with it so that like felt good mm. i got away with it you know i didn't get in I'm trouble okay. this time yeah. or uh whatnot but so how would not. you like and i think i'm hearing the difference between a like there's this term like discipline, right? There's discipline yep. and how people define discipline is punishment. That's right. one way. You know, we punish our kids right. to get them, to shape them up. We yell, we hit, we spank, we right. whatever, right? We use fear as a way of getting demanding. Then there's the other school of thought that discipline is about teaching. And I, I, what I'm hearing you get at with your kids is kind of teaching. I want them to know that they have options and choices and I still need to have boundaries with them. And right. But I don't want to yell because... 
when I think back to my childhood, that really didn't help me in the moment. That all I know is I was afraid right. and sad. And and then I just I got angry. I want to get back versus I want to learn something. And I want I'm hearing you intentionally saying, I want something different. And and how do you want your kids to feel? If you I mean, if you I know you can't control that feeling, but right. if you could, hypothetically, when I'm disciplining or teaching, I want my kids to feel what in those in those moments? What would I like them to feel and know? I would like them to feel open. Like mm-hmm. communication. I think communication is key mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, yeah. We always talk about that in our family. Like even if you feel like, even if you don't want to talk about it, even if you know it's going to bother me and I'm going to be angry for like, you know, 30 minutes, like you got to mm-hmm. say it. You got to yeah. say it. So mm-hmm. having that that trust, I guess, for them to be able to say whatever it is, whether and then that's what I'm training myself to do is not to be so reactive. Mm-hmm. Um to whatever it is yeah. they're going to say. Because I know when they get older, they're going to say a lot of things that I'm not going to agree with. So I have mm. to start training now to kind of mm. like be able to desensitize how I feel. Um, I just want them to feel that they could always come and talk um, mm. or do something, whether they want yeah. to or not. So yeah. that's kind of the feeling I want, like yeah. safe. You know, it does oh, not that, yeah. yeah, if something's bad happening in their life, I don't want them to feel like it's wrong. Mm. You know? Yeah, I, the, the difference I'm hearing is you don't want them, fear is the one thing you don't want. I heard open and safe, and I want them to be able to communicate and come to me. Like, what a difference. And that's a significant change from how you felt. You don't want them to feel what you felt, afraid, sad, angry. And you know that sometimes kids are going to feel, there's nothing wrong with feeling sad, but I think the big change I heard you say is I don't want them to be feeling afraid and right. fear. and ang- I want them to feel they can talk, even if they did something wrong, bad. No, I'm here to teach and I'm not going to scream at them, yell at them, hit them, you know, slap, you know, whatever my parents did. I want, I want to talk and teach. And what a significant change besides reading books and education. What is one practical thing that you do in the moment when you feel that kind of, you know, you see your kids doing something you're like, Oh, I might yell. So what's one thing you practically do to kind of temper that? Yeah, even more importantly, it's just the, the application, right? Like applying what it is you're reading or learning. And yeah. That's really it. So when I feel that reactive piece of me, like I'm going to, because I know when I want to like hit someone, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of just take a step back. And then I think of two questions that I can like switch it up. Pretty much I give, try to give them two choices. That's the main thing that I take away uh, from that because the, the child has and wants to control. So a uh, perfect example, I said it before, I think, was like uh, my daughter would be jumping on the couch instead mm-hmm. of yelling at her, like, will you stop that? God damn mm-hmm. it, you've been jumping for half an hour. Just kind of tell her, it's like, listen, you could stop jumping on the couch or you could go to your room and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's one or the other. And it'll take a while and I'll just keep mm-hmm. saying sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But like I said, it's a learning process. Which is really true because I think a lot of us are trying to find that sense of control developmentally. Even as adults, we, we seek control and um, giving them that gives them that kind of in the you know power and capacity to make the choice and allowing them to even choose the option that we think is not best for them is still, that's good. We're still giving them that choice. But then following through with, here's what's going to happen if you continue choosing to jump on the couch, if you continue to choose to whatever the choices we think as parents is not the best for them. So I love that. I think it's great. And what's, and what's the, the second, you said there's two questions. So one is the choice. Like you ask yourself, what's the second one that you do? Oh, that was it. That's me. Oh, that was it. That's uh, presently, that's what Got I'm it. working on now is controlling okay. my, my natural reaction, anger, right? Yep. Or so you take a step back. Yes. Right? That's always, do you, a, bre- do you breathe practically when you do you take, take a breath, deep breath, 
Got it. Step back. Yeah. Just Perfect. sit there, take a deep breath for a second, and kind of put yourself in the situation of the the person. Just like I guess with my dad, right? Just like, all right, yeah, yeah. That's why they're a kid. That's why you know. It's yeah. Like, all okay. Right, so let's let's give them a you know give them something mm. that kind of makes sense to them. Yeah, I love that. I love the. That's very. It seems simple, right? right? right. In, in in essence, the steps are simple, right? They're not complicated steps. It's not like go, you know, do standing push-ups while balancing right. a plate on your foot. I mean, no, it's like take a step back when you notice that feeling or sense in your body and breathe. So you're kind of engaged. You're regulating yourself, which is actually important because you're modeling that to your kids. Right. The, 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 you know, mm. the ability to regulate self. And then you're saying, okay, what does my kid need? Where are they at? Oh, they need choices. Right. So you're kind of, I mean, that's, those are very practical. I love that. And I, and I, I'm the thank you for that. So when dads are listening, they get to say, oh, okay, that's what Pete's doing. Okay. Maybe I could do that. I could work on taking a step back, taking yeah. a breath and then thinking, oh, what does my kid need to put myself in their shoes? Are they just being kids? Okay. So I need to give them choices. It's very, very practical. I love that. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's work. It's work. You know, it's it, not, it just doesn't happen right? easily. It's definitely some no. work. You mentioned earlier, it's training. Right. Right. To use the gym analogy, you're you're right. training your mind, and it's work, especially in the beginning. If you're not used to it, right? If you're if you never use that muscle, and you're it's the first time in the gym, mm -hmm. right? Yep, it's gonna be tough, right? Absolutely, it's you know it's just like it's a perfect example. You know, it's like you're at the gym, and a push up mm -hmm. is not easy if you don't know how to do a push up. So no, but if you do a push up and it's hard, say hey, you did it, great, right. and then eventually. The more you go to the gym, the more you practice, the more you train, you get stronger, get more stamina, you could do more, you could lift more, and then it gets more, it becomes more second nature. But right. in the beginning, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work, and yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, I always love the gym analogy with the brain. It's like, no, it's a muscle. And I tell, yep. I, it's a, with a lot of men, I give that analogy. I'm like, it's like going to the gym, man, but yeah. for your brain and your emotions. And it works. And it's hard. It's hard at first. Yeah. But eventually you get that strength and you understand it and become that becomes second nature. You don't have to think about form. You don't have to think about right. in the beginning, you're all about, okay, am I doing it correctly? Is my body right? Am I, you know, am I using the correct form? And you're, you're thinking about it. But eventually it's like you do it so much. It's like, oh, I got this. It's right. great. And then inevitably when you, when you learn something new, you got to retrain again. Okay. Let me be intentional. And then over time that becomes second nature in a good way. So because what I'm hearing you doing is you're breaking a habit of reaction to creating a habit of response. Yes, 100. Like that's just, it's just so fast. It's so fast for me to react. That's great, man. I love that. And I appreciate that openness and vulnerability and sharing. And then the practicality of what you're working on. I mean, that's real for you. And that's awesome. Um, so to shift gears a bit, can you tell about a, a uh, significant difficulty you faced uh, as a man, as a father? Ooh, as a man or as a father, I guess mental illness, you know, okay. that's, you know, it's a, Kind of what you talk about a lot too. Um, it might even carry over into the next part, but just like dealing and understanding, I guess what it is. Uh, I don't want to say diagnosed with, but what I live with. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, last year was um, uh, a challenge. I tried to kill myself. I would say mm. about a year ago, and ever since then, ended up in the hospital, um, and then taken being taken away from like your family not knowing if you know, you're gonna go home but not knowing if you were going home was like a very mm. scary thought for me um so the biggest challenge for me is how do i you know not only live and cope with what i have but not only not control it but 
I guess, how do you live with it without affecting your family life? Because at some point, you know, there has to be some compromise. They have to understand, like my wife, I feel not bad. I feel bad for her. Um, yeah, for sure. But like she has to do a lot of work too to kind of um, find out a way on how my life is, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of tough in, in that one. So that's a bigger obstacle for me was like, I almost decided not to be here, but it's mm -hmm. like, you're trying to be here. You're trying to be the biggest person in your kids' lives, but yeah. because of the situations and, you know, it just wasn't not, not me. You know, I'm just not thinking or it's where I was and, you know, kind of almost taking away that opportunity to be the father that I wanted to be. Mm. So, wow. Yeah. Wow, man, that I can't even imagine what that must have been like, you know, that one getting to a place of, hey, I may end my life, but two, like you said, that I'm taking away from my family and when will I be home and what does that mean? And that's a whole other layer of fear, you know, when and my wife and my kids and, you know, that nervousness. And can you speak to a bit to like kind of what, you know, if you feel open to do that, kind yeah. of what led to that moment was... Absolutely. You know, I talk about it you a lot. Um, um, my business. So I lost my identity. You know, I was crank Pete uh, for you guys that um, are just listening. Um, I have a, I had a gym. Have eh, I had a gym in New Jersey uh, 11 years. And mm -hmm. we were like in the process of, I was already like depressed before the pandemic hit because we just moved from like my dream gym. And we had to downsize because it started getting very expensive. So I moved to a little studio, kind of did what I needed to do, but it just didn't feel right. And I felt the mm -hmm. depression starting there. Then I would not even say a year into. And at that time, yeah. did you know you were like now, did you know you were depressed or was it you, you didn't have the language no. for that? Okay. Yeah, I would say I would say now looking at it now or like when I was in therapy or when I'm therapy, my therapist, I realized I was. I did not gotcha. know it because I would just okay. work out. You know, I would okay. just work out and then I would drink. And I thought I was just being social. So mm. I'd work out like crazy just to, just because I needed to work out to get whatever it is in my mind off. And like, this is like 3.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, I would wake up to work out just mm. because I'd have to make sure I worked out before my day started or else I'm a mess okay. if I didn't. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, whenever it started getting tough or like oh, I needed to like escape, I would just drink. Mm. And then... um COVID hit, and then I did mm. whatever I can. I did everything I can to keep the gym alive, um, mm. and it just kept going down, getting shut down more, and then at home, and then I was trying to figure out a way of how to make, how am I going to make money for my family? Because I was the only one working. I was mm. the sole provider. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. Um, she started working mm. part-time, I think, a little bit during COVID. I just started getting distant, lonely, like mm. angry. I just felt it like, taking over like nothing was nice nothing was fun anymore nothing mm. was fun i was drinking more often i would mm. walk a dog i'd have to i, I drink you know you mm. you know you want to drink more when you start buying pints and like little things that mm. you can hide you yeah. know that's that's when i knew it was a problem um mm. i didn't know and i started going to therapy i was like, all right i gotta go i gotta start seeing someone and it's mm. not even like i'd say two months and then two months into therapy i uh I kind of tried, I tried, yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. And then I um, luckily ended up in the hospital. So luckily mm -hmm. I was in the hospital versus on the floor somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man. 
So you ended up in, it sounds like a lot of pressure building, you know, like you said, that had this gym downsized that already started. You didn't even know you were depressed at the time. And I think that's true for a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of people, they don't even know that they're struggling because you're just not familiar, but there's, they sense something's off, but they find ways to cope. So you were working out and, right. and managing as well with, with alcohol to suppress it and depress it and kind of get it at bay and it started getting worse. And then. Yeah. And it's like lot, self-medicating. Trying yes. To figure out. A, a yeah. lot of people do. They self, you know, self-medication. It's like, you're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then it got worse and then you went to therapy. So something said, I need help, which is, I'm guessing that was a significant step just to realize and then ask for help. I'm guessing, right. Was that a, a big yeah. step for you? Yeah. Ask for help okay. was the, the hardest thing. Even more so, like I was asking for help, but I think I was so deep that I didn't mm-hmm. want answers. I don't know if that makes sense. I was yeah, so yeah. out of it. Like it was mm-hmm. very nice to, to get like, like help and to talk to someone and, and seek. I just went, I didn't go to a psychiatrist because I had a bad experience with psychiatrist uh, mm-hmm. years ago. I kind mm-hmm. of go into that. Um, yeah, I would just, they would just talk to the therapist and I didn't really get what I wanted out of it. So I didn't really do as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And um, they diagnosed me with bipolar depression and I didn't know, like the first time I got, they diagnosed me with this in like 2004, the first time I went to a psychiatrist. Um, mm-hmm. So I was at that time, just real, 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 real quick flashback. I was working mm-hmm. at my parents' restaurant. I hated mm-hmm. them because they wanted to control everything. They asked me to work there. I couldn't take it anymore. So I started like getting really angry, drinking and ended up going to, they ended up sending me to a psychiatrist who just medicated me. I don't remember mm-hmm. anything. I had thousands of side effects from dry mouth to, to loss of memory to blurred visions. And oh, they wow. were just, yeah, but I never said anything. I thought that was the part of it. Uh-huh. I thought that was part of sedating me. And I didn't understand what bipolar was. I thought I was just seeing a psychiatrist. So when I finally researched the second mm-hmm. time, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was just so ignorant. I did not want, I didn't want to be in a therapist. I did not want to be in a psychiatrist. I did not want to be medicated. So I just yeah. took the medication and it's got to be monitored. And I didn't, I just drank on it. I blacked out so many times. I don't even remember anything. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Wow. It sounds like there wasn't a lot of education at the time when they gave you that diagnosis. No, no, I didn't, was, I didn't care. I didn't, oh, care, didn't care to listen. I was oh, just okay. there because my parents told me to go see a psychiatrist. Okay. Yeah, so you're already angry at them and mad at them and you're here and you did it and went, went to the motions, but couldn't. Okay. Right. So my hope is maybe they explained to you what it was. That's my hope. Cause I yeah. was like, man, that's horrible. If they did not explain to you what bipolar is, or I would never do that as a, as a therapist. Yeah. Like I want people to know, but you know, that maybe it was, maybe they did and you just didn't want to hear and listen. Right. And, um, and I don't remember. I like, I was yeah. like, I wonder if they really did not as thorough or just didn't want to hear it. I always mm-hmm. thought bipolar was just, you're depressed. I thought that was the same thing, except maybe a little bit stronger. You yeah. never knew that what was required, you know, to like kind of live yeah. a balanced life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, so that was a long time ago. Yeah. And were you on that medication? Did you, I mean, were you on it the whole time up until the yeah. hospitalization or was that you stopped it? At no, one I point? stopped. I stopped. Okay. I didn't get back on until I was hospitalized. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Until until they saw me and kind of uh, did the eval, I got evaluated, and mm-hmm. that's what they said, yeah. and they immediately uh, started me on on the lithium. Uh, lithium. Okay. 
And yeah. so the diagnosis again was the second time more mm. recently. And how long ago was this? This happened December fourth. December fourth. So it'll be a year. Yeah. It'll be coming okay. up. Yeah, it's I'm guessing a day you don't forget. No, never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I am glad to hear, Pete, for you. Like I, I think, like you said, that I instead of ending up on the floor somewhere, I ended up in the hospital. Um, as hard as that might have been, because um, now you're here for your kids, right? And right. your wife. And you're still here, and now you got a diagnosis again, bipolar, um, and now you know more about it. Oh yeah, it made, um, everything makes sense. Everything makes sense. It all kind of clicks. Yeah. Okay. It clicks. Um, <clears throat> and you're still seeing a therapist now. Yes. Okay. Yep. And on on lithium. Yep. On lithium. How has that been for you? I mean, it's been almost a year, so. How, how, you know, since we're out, we're already breached the topic of mental health. So from December 4th to now, I mean, how are we doing? What's going on for you with that? Are you feel like it's managing it better? The medication's helping? Are you now that more educated around it? Like, so kind of, you speak to that? Yeah, um, it's definitely helped mm-hmm. a lot. It's helping. The move here triggered uh, a lot of past emotions closer to December. So it was harder mm-hmm. um, to adjust when we moved to Vegas but I understood how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that was the going from hospital medication group. And like, you know, I was in group for about four months mm-hmm. um, before I was actually allowed to be released. And yeah. it was, it's eye opening to understand how to cope with little triggers or processes or thoughts. And for me, mm-hmm. you know, I, just knowing that, like having this, I guess you could say arsenal of like, oh, I can mm-hmm. do this when I feel this way. I do this when I feel this way. I got to do this. Yeah. When I, you know, it, it'll help. Sure, at some point or sometime, you might be so far off that it's not. But at least mm-hmm. I have an understanding of why. You know, now I yeah. understand why I wake up so early for like a couple days in a row, or mm-hmm. weeks in a row, depends on, on what it is or why I'm tired or why out of nowhere, once you're done, now I'm depressed. You know, because yeah. it's a... Uh, it's a bunch yeah. of swings, but I can definitely mm. cope with it better. I can definitely mm. handle it a lot easier, and life feels good. So, wow, yeah, first time I could say fight, life feels good again. Wow, that must be a big. De- Sounds like a big deal. Must be a big deal to yeah. say that. I mean, first before I even say this, you, you went through significant trauma of losing, like you said, your identity, yeah. <laughs> your job, which sent you down the spiral, and then you know, already struggling with this thing called bipolar and then it just made it worse because now you lost this thing that was, sounds like coping that, you know, you worked out to help manage it and then drinking and then it just, the pandemic. And so you, you went through significant change and loss, which is, that's, that'd be hard on anybody. Um, anyone that would be, that could cause anyone to go to just a depression, right? Or any number of things that can cause situational depression, right? Because that's a, that's a big change, big trauma. But then you found yourself in the hospital and then you did group and got real education. And hearing what you said now is you now know, you know, what I'm hearing is you now know know your swings of bipolar and kind of know you're kind of alluding to those days you don't sleep and, um, you know, which is mania, right? Right. Um, or part, that's a symptom of mania for those who don't know. And may, I'll have you maybe share a bit about that, what that means to you and how your mania is experienced, if you feel comfortable. And then the okay. depression, which not all people with bipolar get the depressive episode, but some do. And when they do, it, it's like a crash, right? Right. Um, they go from feeling great, overly great, to then just that cliff. Um, right. And uh, it can be really hard and can be really confusing. And so if you're not educated you before, you just, 
I work out, I drink, I do things to figure it out. But now you know, if it sounds with group, you learned, okay, what are my clues? What's paying attention to your body, your mood to say, okay, oh, I'm starting to go here. What tools do I need to manage my, my mania or my depression? Or, you know, what do I do? Having now that skill set, that language, it must be very freeing in one hand to know, oh, that's what's been going on. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Oh my gosh, I now know what this is and I now know what to do when this comes or when I experience this. Right. It's uh, You're like prepared. You know, you have, mm. what's the word? I don't remember. Just like prepared to for mm-hmm. whatever it is that's, that's going to happen. Like if I wake mm. up at three in the morning and I'm ready to take on the world, I'm like, okay, let's mark this down. You got a couple mm. more days of this, you know? Yeah. You know, who knows what's going to happen? The main thing is like I have to control the the impulses that I may have or mm. control the energy that I may have. I remember when I was when I didn't know, I really thought I was not a human being. I thought I was an alien or like a superhero. I was like, there's mm. no way anyone can feel like I feel at three in the morning, you know, and yeah. I'd work out and it'd be crazy. And my classes, though, would were great. <laughs> like my, my the classes I would sure. teach were amazing at like five in the yeah. morning because I, I felt like so high mm-hmm. th- that that's kind of what I do miss. I think the medication definitely yeah. takes that away because I could feel the impulses. Like for mm-hmm. me, I'll go on Amazon. I'm like, all right, so I need a new camera and I need wires and I need a new stand. You know, you get this whole budget thing, but then I have to mm-hmm. turn it off and not buy it. I'm very impulsive that way when I'm in mania. And, yeah. um, or trying so to. You're speaking, yeah, you're speaking on mania right now. So for those of the things, Pete's talking about how he experiences mania. Right. So that impulsive impulsivity goes up, the energy goes up, you feel high. And I do hear it a lot from people that they miss the mania because you you get productive. At least yes. the health until until it tips over to the un, the right. too far, but there's that health that window where it's like you feel, like you said, superhero, wow. great classes, a lot of energy, right? Yeah. And so many positives, you know, until yeah. you buy something that you shouldn't have for like twelve thousand dollars. Oh wait, I did that. Yeah. And then but then you crash, you know, and for me, yeah. uh, even more recently, just I wake up kind of the same time, maybe a little less, but I have now no ambition to like brush my teeth. Mm. Like I have no ambition to like have to cook, you know, mm. but I do. Thank, thank goodness I am strong and I have the discipline to know what I need to do. But uh, yeah. for some people, it's very difficult for them to just to yeah. even get out of bed, you know, and I get mm-hmm. that. I get that feeling, you know, yeah. for me, I know it's like, all right, you have to because you have this whole family relying on you to get up. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, you just don't want to do anything like walk the dogs or anything like that. So it's mm. crazy how fast you go from like, I could walk the dogs for 20 miles over the hill to like, I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So. And in your experience, like you mentioned, the lithium helps kind of curb that, that hypomanic or manic state, right? That energy. So, and- yeah. Is that, I haven't is that what felt you've it since I started well, like a couple months after. Okay. You haven't had that, extreme no. and, and the impulsivity it. has gone down yeah. as well yeah yeah and you miss it you said yeah i catch myself too now so it's like i'll catch myself doing some things where it's like oh i'm talking way too much mm. did i even stop all right mm. you gotta take a break and so the lithium being on it now while it kind of curbs that it sounds like it it's you tell me if this is what i'm hearing that it gives you the capacity to now notice some of those mania hypomania symptoms where you can now oh i am talking too fast or what i would diagnostic diagnostically would be called hyperverbal right that which most people have no idea what that means but 
talking too fast, talking too much. I need to stop and take a breath. So it sounds like the lithium gives you that capacity to kind of recognize and take a step back. Is that how it's, how you feel it or yes. how do you experience it? Yeah, I would definitely, I, I recognize the patterns and I okay. think, I don't know if it's a medication or just a practice. Obviously it's probably both, but I definitely don't feel that, that high sensation that I used to, which is the thing mm-hmm. that you miss, you know, where you just mm-hmm. feel like you can be a superhero. I literally feel like I can shoot things out of my eyes. That's like how I feel. And people think I'm crazy. I'm like, mm. no, nah, man, I really believe it. And I've tried. Like I've tried to like blow up cars <laughs> in my eyes. So mm. um, When just, you're in that kind of really yeah. maybe negative space when the mania is a little too far. Yeah. And okay. then it goes down. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, I think the lithium definitely helps me recognize what it is. And mm-hmm. like you, I think you said before, like this is logging in the patterns. So in the mm-hmm. calendar, I'd write down how many days oh, in a row I've done it. Or how okay. it felt that way, and then how many days I feel not too well. So, so I wouldn't. So, you, I was that. That was the next question: Is do you track it and you do it with the calendar? So, kind of track it, just pen and paper type of a thing. Oh, yes. here I'm in kind of in the mania state. Just be aware, and do you track daily? Is that kind of what helps? Yeah, every day. Good. It's X's or oh. O's on the calendar. So, oh, great. So it's That's usually good. four, three, four, three. It depends, and then like okay. it seems pretty normal, and then I'll get it for four, and then three. And how often is that kind of cycling for you? Like once a month or? Yeah, about Random. once a month. Once, once a month. month. Maybe okay. maybe less than. Yeah, I guess sometimes then, I don't know if I'm just excited. You know, it's yeah. hard to differentiate. Like, oh, I just like, uh, you just started your new podcast, say. And, you know, yeah. you're excited to do it. So you're, you know, versus like, oh, am I just excited because of this? Mm-hmm. So it's hard now to like kind of understand how it is, right. you know, to live. And so you still feel it a bit. You still feel that mania, but it's not to the extreme. Yes. I know kind of I'm in it when I'm on Amazon collecting things into my cart. That's good. So that's one of your indicators. Oh, I'm getting out of state. Don't yep. click buy. Yes. <laughs> you know, don't. That's like okay. Click. Save for later. That's how I do Save, that. Yeah. Save for later and reevaluate this with the wife yes. or something, right? Okay. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's great. And I, I think tracking is so big. And when I'm working with clients and patients who have bipolar one or bipolar two, mm-hmm. um, it is that, you know, definitely tracking is a big part. It helps them feel aware. It's like, yeah, you got to track. Um, and when you know, it just helps that awareness and, you know, whether it's pen and paper or there's a lot of cool mood trackers now on phones that are really awesome, mm-hmm. um, really good ones um, like iMood and and um, there's some really other good ones I could link to you, but they're, and I'll even link them in the show for people who might be listening who know about this, but they're really cool and they, they you know, they give graphs and they, you just, you, you just put stuff in and some of them have a place to journal and add notes. Some of them are just kind of just pick emotions, sleep and, nice. you know, uh, uh, energy and all, you know, all the basic stuff you want to pay attention to the kind of manic or depressive states. And it keeps like a, over time, it then shows you a chart and you can kind of see these patterns and it's, it's pretty cool. And so, but also people do pen and paper. I'm like, Hey, if you could track, you're just right. going to help your awareness. And then that helps you feel in control or at least more, Hey, I got this and I can manage this and it doesn't have to wreck my life. And I could, right. you know, I know what to do. And, and so when you hit that crash of depression, is that, has that gotten any better or is that still pretty, I mean, it sounds like you're doing um, something we call opposite action when you feel that yes. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't, yeah, <laughs> that's very much a de- a therapist thing to say is opposite action is doing the opposite of what depression says, right? Depression says stay in bed, don't brush your teeth, don't shower, don't eat, don't whatever, you know, but opposite action is no, you get up. Even if you don't feel like it, you cook, you brush your teeth, you have water, you get dressed, right? So is that kind of the big thing you do? Yes. Um, exactly what you said. And I was like, it's opposite action. Cause that's what I, <laughs> I force myself to do all the time when I was, yeah. especially in the depression phase. Um, mm-hmm. I will not want to, but finding a reason to, is what I always say. It's like, I don't mm. want to do this, 
but why do you need to do this? And I, I kind of give myself a break on those days too, because I have a lot mm-hmm. of, I'll, I'll put a lot of pressure on myself, um, mm. I guess in the other days, but I know once I figure out that it's like, oh man, you're just, you're just coming down, maybe, maybe less jobs for me to do, like, you know, the things that keep me busy, you know, not feel mm. guilty about it. Cause that's my biggest, my biggest downfall is guilt for sure. Mm. And I work with that, my therapist now. Yeah. And it's just tougher to think that way, but I'm working on that. And with yeah. the, um, with opposite action, it helps. Um, I lost my train of thought. I was actually thinking about guilt. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like maybe unhealthy guilt. Yes. Unhealthy. Are you blaming yourself for something you can't control? Maybe lots of it. Is that like, yeah, I'm a big, uh, big blamer to myself. I'm very okay. hard on myself. It's, it's okay. so hard that I can't even like, I cannot listen to someone say something nice about me. So the self-criticism gets really strong and yeah. it's hard to let in anything good. Right. Does that happen just when you're in that depressive state or is it no. at all most of the all time? All times, yeah. Okay. So so with that guilt, Pete, what, what is one way that, you know, you work with a therapist and so what's one way you are challenging that kind of self-criticism guilt? What do you uh, do? I think the one thing, which actually was last week and we're going to continue it this week, was like uh, she said, why are you so important? You know, I was like, mm. hmm, okay. So I kind of put that into perspectives of that, like this happened, this happened. Why am I so important? So if I feel mm-hmm. guilty that I left New Jersey, you know, and now no one's talking to me and, you know, and I just feel bad. Well, why are you so important? You know, mm. do you, don't you think that they're going to move on with their lives just like you are? So, you know, it's one of those things mm-hmm. to where it's hard to, to eat. And for me, like I just feel guilty doing like everything. It's very odd that hmm. I'll feel guilty if I spill something on the floor, you know, and I guess a lot of that was from my upbringing and I'm hmm. learning right now. I'm trying to figure that out. Attacking, attacking the guilt, like, you know, where is it coming from? Where does that critical voice come from? Challenging it. Why am I so important? That's good. And, and replacing it. And, um, and it's a, it's a process it definitely is. And, but that's a good thing you're working on that. And then that opposite action to help too. Um, and with the depression, is it, are you taking medication for that too? Or is that just, yeah. um, is that you're taking, okay. On yeah. top of the lithium right now. Yeah. On top of lithium I'm on, we're trying. So they're trying to find different ones for me. I'm on Wellbutrin, yeah. I think yeah. right now. Sure. Yeah. And then okay. some other, I, I was on like Matuda and then mm. Abilify, but yeah. I get, so like you said, it's, I'm like a science project. So yeah. I'm just figuring out what's best for me to, mm-hmm. to, to manage, you know, some yeah. of them are rough. Yeah, it's trying to manage right the the positive side effects and trying to get you to function and, and curb the mania so you're not getting stuck and help the depression, but not where not being numb and not being you know a vegetable, right? Um, right. Um, yeah. So for those listening with with medication, I know that people are gonna have mixed feelings about medication. I understand that. And from my perspective, when I first see someone, my first thought is not medication. I know some people are like, oh, they just want to medicate me. And obviously, if you see a psychiatrist, typically that's their expertise. They're doing medication. But as a therapist, that's not my first thought. My first thought is, what's going on? How do I understand this person's story? Where are they coming from? You know, who are they? Uh, what's their history? And I look at medication as how do I, if, if especially in the beginning, if they need it to like, if they are in a manic state, it's like, yeah, they need something to help calm them down because I don't want them getting hurt. I don't want them, right. I don't want to risk a whole bunch <laughs> of that can happen. Or if they're so depressed that they can't function, you know, it's like, okay, I might need to give them something on top of therapy, doing opposite action, doing groups to give them skills to understand. And they might need some medication to lift them up because when you're depressed, you got low serotonin, a whole bunch of stuff. But I also go for natural things. If I can with someone, I, hey, let's do stuff naturally. 
first. Like if we can go get a wheeze bud. <laughs> it's a squeeze, little squeeze pouch. <laughs> get one for bro, bro. <laughs> bro, bro. Thank- um, so yeah, so the medication, my first thing is I want people to try naturally first because I'm all for natural things. And for a lot of us, if we change, you know, diet, sleep, exercise skills, they can manage their symptoms of depression, anxiety. Oftentimes a lot of people get free without medication, but some people really do need it and they really need to help it because there's certain things that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try all the natural ways, medication sometimes is needed and very beneficial and life giving. Um, And I don't know if you could speak to that, like what you've noticed being on it. That was a great term, life giving. You know, I've Mm -hmm. never, I've never heard that before um, because it it is, I'm, I'm a healthy guy, right? I ran a gym, Mm -hmm. bodybuilder, fitness guy. I don't like putting things into my body that I don't need to, except for vitamins and food. You know, I tried to think of every natural source possible. Medication was not in my agenda at all. Mm -hmm. Like I do not prefer it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I understand that I need it. Like I, I don't, you know, do I need it for the rest of my life? I, I don't know. According to mm-hmm. the, the, the literature, most likely, um, mm-hmm. could, like, but like you said, it's all subjective. So it depends on the person, um, yeah. of how, you know, how do they experience their life? And for me, I've it felt like it's given my life back, mm-hmm. you know, with a combination of therapy and medication. It's not just medication and sometimes it's not just therapy. Sometimes a combination yeah. of both, even for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you let them decide, let the professional, I always say like in, in training, if someone wanted to lose weight or get bigger, leave it to a professional, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of second guessing. It's going to take you 10 times longer uh, mm. for medication. Like I just leave it to them and then I just give them my feedback and then hopefully they make yeah. the, the best logical decision yeah. for my life. But I love the feedback part because without the feedback, honest feedback, we don't, we're going to only go based off of what we see and experience, but without feedback of how are you actually doing? How's the week's been? How, how has the tracking been? We could then, it's, it's more prone to error because we don't, we, we, we're not mind readers, right? right? We can go based off what we see in front of us. But if you say, hey, you know, Travis, or your th- psychiatrist here, here's, here's my mania, here's the days, it's been okay, it's been manageable. Or, you know what, I feel like it's been not manageable and I'm doing all my skills, I'm doing my breathing techniques, I'm... Mm-hmm doing opposite action I'm doing right but I'm, I feel like it's just not and then we start to adjust and so with that feedback with the trainer it's like it's like even with the gym if you don't tell you have to give feedback to the trainer too right like because right. the trainer is only gonna they're gonna push you but they, if they don't they're not gonna know everything about your body so if you don't tell your trainer oh I pulled something or I did this they're not gonna know they're just gonna keep pushing you because they they're just seeing what what you present and so I think the feedback is so so vitally important to get back, um, especially especially when it's not working or especially if it's something negative is coming. Right. Like we need to know that. And so I'm so glad you said that for those on medication or anytime, like you got to tell us. And this works not even with therapy. This works with your partner. This works yeah. with your kids. Like you got to tell and have communication because we, we can't, we're not going to pick up everything, right. you know. And so with the mental health, what you do now is you see a therapist right, right weekly or what do you do there? Uh, weekly, that? yeah. I see my weekly. therapist weekly. I see my psychiatrist bi-weekly right now while we're testing. Okay. Usually it would just be a, like every month I usually see yeah. them. But now that we're changing the medication and you're talking about feedback, um, I would t- they prescribe me or they change it up a little bit. And I was literally falling asleep at the wheel, like falling asleep wow. at lights. That's how, that's okay. how bad I couldn't hold my eyes open. 
And okay. I was like, is this normal? She was like, no, yeah. that's not normal. And so okay. I thought, Good. you know, sometimes you just think, like you were talking about with medication, like you just think mm-hmm. that this is how it's supposed to be. So I'm just going to be it. It's like, no, yeah. 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 let them know. You know, when it sounds like you have a good team too, it sounds like you have a good psychiatrist as well, yeah. good therapist as well, right? It sounds like they're really helping you out and wanting that information from you. Yeah. What do you think for you is the most important thing you need from a psychiatrist, from a therapist that's that was really helpful for you? Hmm. What's the most important thing I need from a psychiatrist to the therapist? Oh, no, or therapist. So most important thing you need from your psychiatrist, from your therapist. They just, like, I I always say it's like a first date. Um, Mm -hmm. When I first meet them, it's got to be someone like I could feel comfortable with, someone that I trust, someone that Mm -hmm. I I can talk to. You know, if I Mm -hmm. feel like any type of resistance, like, or like I'm going to swipe left, like I just want (laughs) to, that's it. You know, it's like we have to find someone else, um, someone that I would be comfortable talking to. Some people I just feel guarded against mm-hmm. uh, versus versus that. So that would be my yeah. my biggest thing. Okay. And if you found someone that you felt guarded, what would you do? Uh, I'd either give it another chance mm-hmm. or, uh, but also start looking for someone else that might be, I just get a feel. Like I walked mm-hmm. into one guy's office and he had golf stuff everywhere and he dressed like a golfer and I automatically judged him. And that was me, you know, that was me judging. But then he talked to me and I still didn't like him. So I mm-hmm. immediately just... You know, I paid the the copay of the first day. And then after that, I moved on to another therapist because I think yeah. truly, if I don't feel comfortable in the surroundings and the environment, then why would I be open to tell, you know, give honest feedback? And like you said, yeah. feedback is huge. Uh, so mm-hmm. if I don't want to give honest feedback to someone I kind of don't trust, then what's the point of doing it? I tell all my clients, patients, the first time I see them, hey, part of this is you testing me out and getting to know me. And if we, if you feel comfortable with me, and if you don't, I'll help you find someone that you do. Um, and I'll ask you what you need because it's what we know is one of the most important things in therapy is exactly what you said. Do I feel comfortable talking to this person? That's a significant, very important detail. And if you don't, like Pete said, I do encourage you, find someone else. Like look, find a new psychiatrist, find a new therapist because you need to feel that comfortability, that safety to connect with them because that's a big part of the treatment is you trusting and connecting with your therapist and psychiatrist. And if you don't, there's no shame, no harm, no foul. In fact, I want you to do that. And I tell, I actually tell some therapists do that. Some don't. Some, um, I've always made a point to say that to make it comfortable for the person to be able to tell me if they don't feel comfortable because I want them to, they need that because I know how important it is um, for treatment and for help. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. And for those listening, yeah, follow Pete's example. Take my you know words too that find someone you feel comfortable with. It's very important. Um, and so as we close out the show, and, and gosh, we could, honestly, we could probably dive into so many more things and I would love to, but for the sake of the show and for our kids in the backgrounds that are that are just awake and it's it's Saturday morning. It's now seven in the morning. Um, you know, what is one thing that you want your kids to know above all else? Oh, good question. I would say above all else that they can always come and talk to me. Hmm. That's it. Like you said before, communication is key. And I hmm. feel like open having that openness to at least understand that they can talk to their dad. Versus like, I mm. only have to talk to someone, you know? Yeah. So but we'll see okay. what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, we come, we have definitely come full circle is you mentioned that early on is what you're trying to do differently from your dad is really trying to 
safety, openness, communication, and that's that intentionality that you're trying to do differently as a father, as you parent your kids now, is I want them to feel that way versus fear, scared, sad, angry, right. but open, safe. And you want to know, hey, you can always come to dad to talk. I'm here for you regardless. If that's your intention, that's what your kids are going to feel. Yeah. If that's your goal, that's what they're going to feel. And so, Pete, I, I appreciate your vulnerability, your sharing, and I would you know, definitely love to have a second conversation with you and to talk further. But man, you've shared so much, and I appreciate so much from your story, hearing a bit of it, again, you know, hour and a half of your life, but really um, so much strength and wisdom and sharing about a significant difficulty you've gone through. Um, and gosh, and something I didn't ask, oh, I know I'm about to close the show, but I'm a... How has your wife been in all this? Uh, it's one thing that we make sure we, I say that because it's my, my therapist, right? Yeah. Um, she's had a rough time. It was tough in mm -hmm. the, the process of mm -hmm. the attempt, uh, suicidal yeah. attempt until coming yeah. out. She's, you know, it was, it's a, it's a rough transition for her and it's also mm -hmm. still a learning process. My mm -hmm. main thing is to keep asking her, does it feel mm -hmm. like you're walking on eggshells near me? So mm -hmm. I always ask her that. To make mm -hmm. sure it's like okay, if I am, then there's something going on, or I'm a little too okay. Okay. anger or angry or whatnot. Yeah. So you know, same thing as her. She's not in therapy, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but we try to. I always ask my therapist, how can I help work around whatever it is she needs? You know, hmm. and how is her? Has she? You feel supported by her? Yes, very yeah. one hundred percent supportive. Okay, good. And I'm sure it's been a big part of your recovery and healing as well as having a supportive partner in this. Yes. Yeah. Good. I, well, I love to hear that. And I think that's another key ingredient of healing is having supportive people in your life that can help walk you through. Okay. Um, just walk through life, having supportive people. So that's so good to hear. So, you know, again, as we close the show, I, Pete, I really appreciate you, your vulnerability, your openness, your sharing a bit of your journey and some really difficulties that you've gone through and also coming out of that and, and coming into having life again and being a dad and a husband and finding a healthier place healthier version of Pete, a stronger version, right? Um, so, and I would love to have you on again and talk I mean, about more of this stuff. It's, I think it's so needed and so powerful to hear. So blessings to you and to your family, to your kids, and to your continued journey as you keep challenging some of those negative thoughts and that guilt and that criticism and, and to continue just to, to kind of conquer that and to be, and to say no. I could be kind and supportive to myself like I am to my kids. And I want to be safe and open to me, just like I want to give that gift to my kids to know that I'm here for them and I love them and I am I care for them to give that to yourself, that know you could support and care and love yourself versus being critical. So blessings to you, man. Have a great rest of your day, okay? Thank you. Thanks for having me again. And dude, bye.